In this episode, you will discover why IBS might not even be a real diagnosis. Welcome to Gut Reactions, a podcast helping women to break free from symptoms, master their gut health and reclaim their lives. Here we talk all things IBS and absolutely nothing is off the table. I'm your host, Otavia, a nutritional therapist, and you guessed it, I'm an IBS warrior myself. In this podcast, we'll talk about the impact IBS has on our daily lives, how we can live well with IBS, and most importantly, how we could heal our IBS symptoms for good. Because let's be honest, living with IBS can be a little bit shit. Hello, welcome back to episode number two of Gut Reactions. I am your host, Otavia, who is so excited that you're here. You're here, you're back. If you listen to episode one and you returned, hello, nice to see you again. This is episode two, and as promised last week, we are going to be talking about what actually is IBS. You might have heard some of this before. You might think you know what it is. Let's see. You might have absolutely no clue. But in this episode, we are going to discuss what doctors tend to say IBS is, why that actually isn't always helpful or true, and what IBS actually is. Straight from the horse's mouth. Nutritional therapist, gut specialist, let's do this. Okay. Equally, at the end of this episode, I am going to be exposing one of the most famous people in the world to have had IBS. Their chronic back pain, thought to be linked to his time in World War II, led to a discovery of gut problems, and he actually lost so much weight through his suspected IBS condition that he had to be given testosterone to rebuild his muscle strength. And if that isn't a sign of (laughs) gut problems also leading on to other issues, I mean, that's quite an extreme example, but you know. Stick around to the end of the episode to find out who that person was and we're going to look at their story and just kind of normalise a little bit that so many people, famous people, this is one of the most famous people in the world, that, you know, they have IBS. So we're not alone. We're actually in quite good company, guys. So when diagnosed or considering if you have a diagnosis of IBS, it can be quite confusing, right? And maybe you feel like you've never really had a full answer. What actually is IBS or, you know, what's causing it? Maybe you've been told some stuff, maybe you haven't. In terms of what do doctors tend to say it is, I mean, it's so funny. I was trying to look at what the actual definition was and there's actually no technical definition. It just says it irritable bowel syndrome, right? Okay, helpful. We knew what it stood for. Irritable bowel syndrome, but why? If you live in the UK, obviously you'll know the NHS is our national health service. On the NHS website, it's said to be a common condition that affects the digestive system. Okay, great. But still, what what does that mean, right? A common condition that affects the digestive system. Yeah, how? Why? Give us some more. There's not much to go on there, right? So it's not telling us what it actually is, but sometimes it does have subsections, okay? So there tend to be around six, six types. And maybe you've been given one of these diagnoses. Maybe you've just been told it's IBS and you didn't even know that there were six different types. So let's run through quickly the six different types. You've got IBSD, which is... IBS diarrhea predominant, IBS-C, IBS constipation predominant, or IBS mixed, which is an alternating of the two, right? So if you're super lucky or super unlucky, you'll have a mix of IBS that has, sometimes you have diarrhea, sometimes you have constipation. You could also have IBS-U, which is basically just undefined. The symptoms vary. But you could also have something else like uh, post-infectious IBS. So that tends to happen if you've had an acute infection like gastritis or you've had food poisoning that tends to be when you're diagnosed with IBS 
post-infectious. So there are different types of IBS. You may hear more in different uh, scenarios. But why isn't this always helpful? So this is kind of what we're told by doctors that IBS is, right? Why isn't that helpful? I mean, you probably know this already because it doesn't actually tell us anything, right? But also, just because we have a label or a quote-unquote diagnosis, it doesn't always lead to a remedy or a cure. So always focusing too much on the type or the symptoms rather than finding the cause can actually put more barriers in the way. So I know that you may have a diagnosis of a certain type of IBS. Maybe you don't, but I know a lot of people who do. And they tend to focus so much on trying to find out the cause of IBSD, for example, IBS diarrhea predominant. And they get so fixated on the fact that it's IBSD. It must be a reason it's IBSD. They tend to kind of not see the woods for the trees anymore because you're still not looking at the cause. It's just the fact that your IBS is manifesting as IBSD or maybe it's IBS mixed. I don't know. But you're still not looking at the cause. Spoiler alert, we will go on to talk about what the actual cause is. Uh, And we're actually going to do that now. (laughs) So what is the actual cause? The culprits tend to be, and this is not generally something that you'll hear from medical practitioners, because as I said in last week's episode, this isn't their remit, so to speak. This isn't where their training lies. Their training lies in disease. This is not necessarily disease. It is what we call subclinical. So the culprits tend to be either, this can be a mix as well, right? It'll be a bacterial imbalance. So if we think about our guts, I mean, our whole bodies, we're we're made 90% of microbes, right? Of bacteria, viruses, they're all natural. We need them there. We need them to survive. For example, vitamin E, no, sorry, E. coli helps us produce vitamin K, which helps us to clot our blood. But if we have too much E. coli, obviously that's bad when we get food poisoning. It's very dangerous, right? But that's just an example that we have lots of different types of viruses and bacteria that we need to survive. No more is this relevant than in our guts. Our guts house billions of microbes and it's a very delicate balance that needs to be kept to keep your gut healthy. Each microbe will do something different. So you'll have something that a certain strain of bacteria that helps to regulate your bowel movements and keep them moving at a good pace. But if you have not enough of that bacteria, maybe you get constipation. If you have too much, maybe you get diarrhea. So the first one we're talking about is bacterial imbalance, okay? Where you have an imbalance, either an overgrowth of a certain bacteria or an undergrowth of a certain bacteria because they need to be in a delicate balance. The second culprit for IBS can be food intolerances. Now, food intolerances can also be caused by IBS because if you have gut damage for example a bacterial imbalance you may not be able to handle quote-unquote tolerate certain foods because your gut is damaged and maybe something like I don't know I'm just giving an example a pineapple or a piece of apple maybe that's too much for your gut to handle so then you have an intolerance to that food whether or not your intolerance is caused by IBS or whether the IBS was caused by the food intolerance The food intolerances will be making your IBS worse. And I would say most people who I work with in clinic have some, if not a lot, of food intolerances precisely because their gut is damaged. But equally, you can have a food intolerance that is making your IBS symptoms worse. So for me, that was dairy. (laughs) And that happened when I was drinking protein shakes, which were predominantly from milk, trying to put on weight when I was 
severely underweight, as I spoke about last week uh, in episode one when I was 23. And I basically gave myself lactose intolerance. And my God, it was a baptism of fire to the world of IBS for me. So you can have a specific food intolerance that's causing symptoms. I have worked with people where we've identified one specific food intolerance. They've taken that out and their symptoms have almost completely gone. That's not always super common, but yeah, you can, your IBS symptoms could be being caused by a certain food intolerance or at least being made worse by them, right? The third culprit tends to be an inflamed gut lining. So imagine if you cut your finger or you grazed your finger, you grazed your knee or you hit your arm, I don't know, we're all accident prone apparently today, but you get inflammation, right? It's your body's way of trying to protect itself. That is also true of our insides, especially of our gut, because our gut lining is very delicate. So if you do have some food intolerances or you have a bacterial overgrowth of like a nasty pathogenic bacteria that's causing problems in your gut, it's going to cause your gut to become inflamed because it's damaged. So you may have noticed this where you feel actual pain or like a horrible kind of grating feeling in your gut that can sometimes be from inflammation in your gut lining. So that's culprit number three. So we've got bacterial imbalance, food intolerances, inflamed gut. The next one is a specific infection. So this would be if you have uh, maybe an overgrowth or an infestation of a particular bacteria or a particular parasite. So it could be something like candida, a yeast overgrowth. So a specific infection or infestation of a bacteria, something like H. pylori. Maybe your GP tested for that. If not, ask them why not. <laughs> culprit number five I think yeah we'll go with five is malabsorption what do we mean by that what do we mean by malabsorption it basically means where you're not absorbing your food properly maybe you're not breaking down your food properly maybe you have too low or too high but poor quality stomach acid so when you eat obviously your saliva should start breaking down your food should go down your gullet <laughs> is that a word <laughs> I'm gonna say that because it's nicer than esophagus should go down your gullet into your stomach and you should have the perfect balance and amount of stomach acid to start breaking it down so when you eat that sandwich for example it goes into your intestines and it's already broken down if you have low stomach acid or if you have poor quality stomach acid which means it's not working properly then that sandwich is going to go into your intestines it's not going to be broken down and it's probably going to cause you guessed it inflammation in your gut lining so that is culprit number five and our final culprit, which is not, this is not super common, but the final and sixth culprit is hormones. This is not something really you need to worry about so much at this point. I just wanted to mention it because sometimes it is relevant. And if you are listening and you feel you have hormone imbalance, it's worth you knowing that this could be linked. So when we talk about hormones, I'm talking about generally reproductive sex hormones, generally in women estrogen for example it dictates peristalsis which is how well and how quickly we digest our food so if you have too high estrogen it's going to mean that you digest your food too quickly maybe you get bloating and diarrhea for example that's not something you really need to worry about too much right now because that's very specific um but the main five ones are bacterial imbalance food intolerances inflamed gut lining a specific infection and malabsorption and then we just threw in hormonal for good measure because we'll probably talk about that in another episode so that being said, 
maybe that feels really overwhelming. <laughs> maybe you're like, uh, I thought this was supposed to be a podcast that was going to make me feel empowered. I don't feel empowered at all. I feel very disempowered. Don't worry, because we can look at how to remedy this. Like I said before in last week's episode, if you listened, if not, go back and have a listen. If you did listen, you'll know we talked about identifying the cause can then help you to identify the correct remedy, right? So this information that I've just given you is going to bring you one step closer to understanding why you have IBS and therefore how you can remedy it. And that tends to be something best done, obviously, with a registered practitioner like a nutritional therapist. Definitely a gut health specialist. I don't know, maybe also a podcast host called Otavia, but also maybe not, up to you. If you're not in a position to do that at the moment, just keep listening to this podcast. We're going to be talking about these things in more, um, you know, more detail. We'll look at how you can identify maybe which one it is that's causing yours. Um, but also things like food diaries can be really helpful. The thing with something like food intolerances, if that is maybe what's causing your IBS, is that they're quite slow acting. So people tend to get mixed up between food allergies and food intolerances. And I know this happens a lot. I don't know about you if you have a known food intolerance or maybe you have an allergy. But when you go out to eat, I always say, oh, I've got an intolerance. And they freak out and they think I need an EpiPen. I'm like, no, 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 it's not the same thing. An intolerance is a lot slower acting and tends to be, touch wood, less serious. So I might eat food that I'm intolerant to and I may get bloating 12 hours later or the, the next day. It's not very, always very fast acting, which is good, but it's also tricky because then it's really hard to understand what the hell's going on, right? So if you've gone out for dinner the night before, you wake up the next morning, have breakfast, and then you bloat in the afternoon, you'll be thinking, crap, what did I have for breakfast? Maybe it's not what you had for breakfast. Maybe it's what you had for dinner the night before, but the onset of the symptoms just took longer. So food diaries can be really good if you think it'll be useful, not if it's going to be something that's going to dictate your whole life and you're going to become even more stressed over because stress, no, 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 no. We want to try to reduce that as much as possible, but they can be useful to try and identify patterns, for example. Things like probiotics and digestive support in general, we will go into this more in another episode, but they are so crucial. You need to know that you're taking the right one um, and that it's right for you, especially if you have any underlying health conditions. Not like IBS, because obviously we know you've got that. That's why we're having this conversation. But any other health conditions. But they were so crucial in my recovery from IBS and in my continued management of IBS. But we will go into those more in another episode. So looking at, like we said, looking at the culprits of IBS is where we start to understand how to remedy it. Okay. And like I said, we will go into more detail about how to do that exactly in other episodes. But as promised, we're going to look at one of the most famous people in the world to have had or sus be suspected to have had IBS. And can you guess who he is? So we already know that he served in World War II because he had back problems that led to them realising they had IBS. I don't really know how they made that link, but, you know, I didn't have time to do that much research. He was, I'm going to call him a pin-up boy. I don't even know if that's a thing, but he was like, everyone fancied him, apparently. He was super hot, and he was also murdered. And his name was John F. Kennedy. Famous world leader. Bit of a hottie by all accounts, but so, 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 so famous. And he apparently had maybe IBS. 
So a New York Times published article in 2002 said the following. For much of his life, Kennedy also suffered from severe and potentially dangerous bouts of diarrhoea, which doctors suspected might have been from ulcerative colitis. Ulcerative colitis, you maybe know what it is. It's ulcers in the colon. Repeated, exa- repeated examinations did not confirm that. The ultimate diagnosis was spastic colitis, which today would be described as irritable bowel syndrome. Imagine having all of that and then them being like, oh, we think it's just IBS. <laughs> like, what, I'm having dangerous bouts of diarrhoea and it's just, it's just IBS? Okay, cool. Kennedy took antidiarrheal drugs like Lomatil for relief and he lost so much weight and strength from his ailments that he received the male hormone testosterone to build up his muscles. That's mad. Like, this guy, maybe you've heard this before. I actually hadn't heard this. And I spoke to one of my friends who is also a gut health specialist and she did know this. I was like, how have I never heard this story before maybe i just need to do more research on jfk <laughs> i don't know but anyway for many years kennedy's back problems were largely attributed to his injuries suffered when his navy patrol boat had sunk in world war ii also didn't know he was in world war ii but there we go in fact he had back pain before that and a doctor i think said that maybe something had happened with his vertebrae that had caused issues with his back but anyway, they started doing, um, you know, research into it and looking into it and found that he also had issues with his gut. So, I mean, guys, if JFK had IBS, um, I feel a little bit famous. I don't know about you, but uh, JFK, one of the most famous people in the world. But it also, on a serious note, shows just how many people are affected by IBS and that IBS doesn't discriminate. It can happen to literally anybody, right? But it doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to live like that. We don't have to just live with a diagnosis and just get on with it. And yeah, so that's it for this episode today, guys. We have learned not only who the most famous... I'm going to say the most famous. He's not the most famous. That's probably Elvis, but whatever. One of the most famous people in the world who had potentially IBS. But also we've learned what doctors say IBS is, why that isn't actually always helpful, and what IBS actually is, and therefore how to remedy it. So if you enjoyed this episode, guys thank you so much for joining me i've really loved sharing this time with you and i cannot wait to see you again next week and join me next week when we will be talking about the truth about how i cured my ibs and how you could too it's going to be it's going to be a good one we're going to look at what happened how i cured it i don't know if you can say the word cure but let's just say it because it's more impactful and therefore how you could cure it too and if you enjoyed this episode if you could do me a huge favor i would really appreciate it if you could rate review and subscribe that means you'll never miss an episode and it also helps to get the word of the podcast out and helps it be more discoverable to more people so thank you so much for joining me again today for episode two and i look forward to seeing you next week bye